So through this pandemic, it's allowed us to meet people like that. I never met the lady at the food pantry in Anvil. I never didn't even know the people at the church in Jackson County, which is probably 20 minutes away from me. So it, it's just put us in touch with a lot more people, made us a lot more visible. And I think that because of this, it'll just give us so much more growth to where we can continue to do what we have to do to continue to help people. In this episode of Voices from the Field, NCAT Sustainable Agriculture Specialist Mike Lewis sits down with Wayne Riley, Executive Director of the Laurel County African American Heritage Center in London, Kentucky. They discuss Mr. Riley's work in the community, including the challenges and benefits that have arisen during the COVID-19 pandemic. The Laurel County African American Heritage Center is a nonprofit founded in 2004 to preserve African American history in Laurel County, Kentucky. The center has grown in its mission and operation since that time, and today it operates the center, a working and educational farm, a commercial kitchen, and a farmer's market. Let's listen. Good afternoon, everybody. This is uh, Mike Lewis the Northeast Office of the National Center for Appropriate Technologies. Um, coming to you today from London, Kentucky, Laurel County. Uh, excited to be here today with a, a good friend and sometimes a co-conspirator of mine, Mr. Wayne Riley from the Laurel County African American Heritage Center. Uh, Wayne founded the center in 2004 right here in um, London, Kentucky. Um, and you might wonder why we're we're here. I always, I always joke with Wayne that his his name doesn't have much to do with with food, but uh, Wayne's heavily invested in food security for his local community. Um, Wayne, I really appreciate you letting me in here on short notice. Uh, always great to be in the center. There's so much great history. Uh, we are sitting in the center. Do you want to tell us about yourself in the center, Wayne? Uh, so my name is Wayne Riley, and I'm with the director at the Laurel County African American Heritage Center. Um, I started the center in 2004, basically um, to save the church that I grew up in. Um, I'm a carpenter by trade, um, didn't really know what I was doing. And I met some interesting people along the way that have uh, kind of led us and stirred us in the right direction to get us to where we're at today. The center itself was just, was the purpose for it was to preserve the history of the African-American population of Laurel County. And I guess a little after that, we realized that it was going to be hard uh, in a community of 2% or less African-American population to survive with just talking about a museum. Uh, so we started doing some outreach programs. Uh, probably our first outreach was centered around uh, donated food that we gave away and clothing and things like that. And um, it just kind of went from that to the point of where um, I was introduced to uh, David Cook, who at that time was just freshly starting Grow Appalachia. And at that point, uh, we um, became part of Grow Appalachia through a connection between Bill Turner and, and uh, David Cook. And we started our journey into producing fresh food. 
Well, that's great. And just for reference, I think I, I likely met you through Grow Appalachia too, which is a tremendous program out of uh, Berea College in Berea, Kentucky. Yes. So, um, they support a lot of uh, a lot of community gardens, but then also now they've transitioned to more supporting small scale farmers, right? Right. And I, I think it's it's so interesting, you know, you, you, you started, and I see that a lot, and it happened to me too, like my transition into food issues, right? You didn't come into this for food, but at the end of the day, you realized that food was the one factor that seemed to have the most impact on how our, the, the health and wellness of our communities, or what was it that really brought you to the food production side of community Well, I, I think with the food production, you know, we... Um when we think back to the way food was grown uh, when we were small local communities before we had all of this mass trucked food that was trucked in, um, seemed like we had less health issues from uh, the food that was grown on small farms and backyards and places like that. So for me, I, it, it was a thing of with Grappalachia, what really attracted me to them was that they were talking about organic and not using all these chemicals and pesticides and things like that. Also, when I look back at it, I look back at some of my family that was in the Vietnam War that came back with all of these issues from the chemicals that were sprayed throughout the jungles over there. And some of those same chemicals are in the pesticides that we spray our food with. Yeah, I, you know, for me, uh, I think you're saying the same thing. For me, a big, uh, I read a book by uh, Liberty Hyde Bailey. It was written like return of the century in early, late 1800s, early 1900s. But it was called This Holy Earth. And he had this one, uh, one section in the book, but one quote that really stuck out to me. And it, it was uh, something akin to, if we can't treat the land and the resources that provide for our well-being with dignity and respect how can we ever expect to treat each other with dignity and respect and so it sounds like that's the same sort of thing the foundation right. is always food and connections so well, you know food food always seems like food is um also a, a good way of always bringing people together you know people you talk about food you know, uh, a, a good food conversation can lead to any kind of conversation. Uh, but if you're sitting around food, it seems like it just soothes the soul and opens people's mind and kind of relaxes people. I, I would agree, but then I would I would counter that way. And with every time I talk with you about food, it seems like we just end up creating more work for ourselves. <laughs> we we have this we're in this unique space where we suffer from uh, what I believe Martin Richards uh, was the first one that told me this from Community Farm Alliance: uh, the, the oppression of opportunity. There's there's so much to do that it's hard to to really narrow in and get things done. Um, especially now, right, with the pandemic. How has the pandemic um, sort of changed the, the focus of your work and impacted it? Well, for me, with the pandemic, you know, I think we went kind of, a lot of our, our people that were part of our garden pro program were older people. It was very hard to get them connected with the Zoom calls and the things like that. So our garden program kind of slacked off and we went from a garden program to where we still felt like that we needed to stay in touch with the community and, and support the community in different ways. And the way that we decided that we were going to uh, support the community was by 
increasing our capacity with our food pantry. Uh, and because of that, uh, there's there was a lot of food out there. There was a lot of government food programs out there. And so we kind of tapped into that. And so we started doing an outreach. Our outreach was more centered around food that had already been produced and ready for market. That was um, a lot of it was donated by factories. Some of it was food that was uh, on trucks that it came to Walmart distribution that had got turned down and stuff like that. And so we were able to capitalize on that and be able to turn around and put that food back into the community. Well, I, I just want to add, like, give you kudos for that because it wasn't just your community, right? I mean, I, one of the things I, I think that um, you have this great capacity to do and we're so fortunate to have you as like a leader in this community is you're able to get out of your community, right? I mean, you had my wife delivering food. You had me delivering food to different counties, you know, so your footprint actually was larger than that and it, it made a huge impact so I, I just want to point out that while you said the local community your work has certainly spread from this center into you know several surrounding counties right yeah and and i and i think it's very important you know that that we do reach out to other communities you know because of the technology today i feel like that our neighborhoods are are much wider based than what they were when when I grew up where you were lucky if you had a telephone if you know usually one car in a, in a in in a family and and so with the technology that we have today you know um I think it's very important that we share that and that we stretch out beyond the borders of our of our county lines and things like that you know uh I I met a lot of people with this during this pandemic our our normal giveaway day was on Wednesday that we did at the center. And on Tuesday and Thursday, I did pick up food for other small churches and small organizations that didn't necessarily have the means of picking up for just one pallet of food. You know, it costs a lot of money to go all the way across the country to pick up a pallet of food. So I'd pick up 10 pallets and then these other organizations would come and pick it up at the kitchen and then we disperse it from there for their their particular communities or organizations or where whatever they were doing with it yeah you you covered up three counties in organic beans for the next uh 18 months right i seem to remember that 18 wheeler of <laughs> organic uh was it pinto white beans and yeah, red beans and red beans yeah, yeah that was uh that was a fun time you had you had pallets of beans fill in the center so I, I do want to touch on that because on top of, you know, just the work you do at the center, you guys also have, um, I, I know you've got a new refrigerated truck and you also have a, a community-based commercial kitchen just, a, what, a quarter or half a mile up the road from here at the center. And that's where you do most of your distribution from. But what, with your commercial kitchen, what, what are your hopes for that and how do you, how do you see that long-term helping to reshape the the landscape for farmers. I mean, I, I'm just 12 miles from your, from your commercial kitchen. So how do you think that is, and what's your vision for it? Well, you know, with the commercial kitchen, when we designed this kitchen, I, I think it was a bit of a challenge. And uh, it was kind of design, designed through a grant through Grappalachia, but at the same time that Grappalachia was part of it, I kind of got involved with 
Kentucky State. And through them, we added, just kept adding things to it. So at the kitchen, you know, I think that it'll be a, something that um, people can process food in, uh, get them a label, and, you know, be able to sell that food and be sustainable. Uh, at the same time, because of the contact with Kentucky State, we actually added the, the docking station for the mobile proce- meat processing unit, the vegetable processing unit. So those trailers could actually back in there if we were overcrowded with, overrun with vegetable production inside so we could actually get that trailer bought down and you could process inside and outside the building in the trailer. With the mobile meat processing trailer, it can back in there, dock, you can process chickens, turkeys, rabbits, quail, and catfish on it. So I think it, it, it leaves a, a lot of room for a lot of different things that could be done that could make people's lives and families sustainable. Yeah, value, I mean, definitely being, well, you're a small farmer too, right? Being a, a small farmer, would definitely a lot of value in, in figuring out how to maximize your revenue on a, a specific crop. And as we know from what we've seen, there's there's more money in selling salsa than a tomato to, right. to, to simplify the, right. the conversation. Um, so you also have um, a farm too, right? So you have the museum here. You have the commercial kitchen and the delivery trucks, but you also have a, a demonstration farm that you grow food on and that food goes back into the community. Is that correct? Yes. And that, um, and I was interested yesterday, I, uh, part of the reason I said I would come down today is you said you were working hard because you'd had a labor shortage. So could you talk a little bit about your demonstration farm and how the pandemic has impacted your labor? Because I know that some of your labor is through prison uh, work release programs to yeah. help with rehabilitation. So how has the pandemic impacted your ability to operate your, your farm? Uh, it's put a real strain on us uh, because we don't have paid employees with anything that we do. Everything is based on volunteers. Uh, and as you said, most, probably 80% of our labor has always came from the inmates at the jail. And throughout the pandemic, They've been on lockdown, which meant that they couldn't come out of the jail because of the pandemic. So it just kind of put a real pinch on us because we had to we relocated the farm. So it put a pinch on us getting the high tunnels all back up and in place, uh, getting the fencing done that we needed done for for the animals and things like that, even down to the weed eating and the everyday maintenance around all of this that has to be done. It's basically was always done by the inmates of the jail. They got out for a short period of time and we thought it was going to kind of pick back up and we were going to get some more things done. And then all of a sudden, now we're back to the shutdown again. You know, we're, we're, we're going to just keep, you know, pushing forward. You know, it's just um, a little bit slower pace than what we would normally like to be going at. So... I don't want to skip an opportunity to ask you because I think that you're, um, through all of our conversations and works, you're one of those people that even in the midst of complete crisis still manages to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel or the positive side of the situation. So are there any really positive takeaways that we could close out with from the pandemic? Like anything that's happened that like, well, you know, yeah, the pandemic's awful, but it led to this. Is well, there- you know, we're... we're one of the things is we're sitting right here in the building, you know, 
the, I think the pandemic slowed us down, but it also allowed us to do some things that we need to be done. And this little building that I'm in, it's always been a church. When I come back in here, the walls were just white. And, you know, uh, during the pandemic, it was slow and we had time. So we did a lot of remodeling. Uh, we had to replace some paneling, just decorate, painted, uh, moved some stuff around, opened it up to where it's more, looks more spacious and looks more appealing to the, to the people that come into it and not just the plain old uh, stale looking walls that had been in here for the last 30 years, you know. So I, I think with, with the pandemic, I think it's allowed us growth and the growth has been uh, to change some things that we probably, I mean, I've been wanting to get in here and do a lot of this stuff for a long time, but just never really had the time to do it. And the pandemic kind of made time for us to do it. And then at the same time we were doing it, we're still moving forward with everything that we want to do. You know, I mean, I think with our, our food part of it, because of the pandemic, it put, it put us in touch with even, I thought I knew a lot of people before the pandemic with as far as the garden program with Grappalachia, but with the food program, I mean, you know, um, I've met people in Jackson County that little churches in Jackson County, the little small food pantry up on the mountain, McKee, that uh, little lady over 80 some years old that is busting wide open with just energy to, to make sure that people in her community are getting the ne- necessary food that they need, you know. I guess for me, you know, I mean, I I don't like to, uh, you know, when you start talking about free food, a lot of people start thinking and talking about lazy people, trifling people. You know, there's a lot of people out there today that are grandparents trying to raise grandkids, and they're not lazy and trifling. They're just they're just needing a little helping hand, lift up, lift them up out of it, uh, because. They have a heart, and they can't turn their grandkids away. So, you know, so they're just trying to feed them and take care of them the best way that they can. So through this pandemic, it's allowed us to meet people like that. I never met the lady at the food pantry in Anvil. I never didn't even know the people at the church in Jackson County, which is probably 20 minutes away from me. So it, it's just put us in touch with a lot more people, made us a lot more visible, and I think that because of this, it'll just give us so much more growth to where we can continue to do what we have to do to continue to help people. And at the same time, still stay focused on the gardening. And, and, and when the time is right, we'll get back to where hopefully the gardening will be a full-blown blown program again, you know. You know, it's, it's so interesting. I, I was thinking this almost the same thing you were just saying. It's like sometimes when you slow down, you know, there's actually a benefit, you know, and I think the pandemic, you know, the situation we're in now has forced everybody to slow down. And when we slow down, we start to look within our own house, whether that's, you know, we need let's redecorate here and let's get the things that have been behind. But it also makes us think about, you know, what really important and i think that to me is the one thing like being you know not i don't want to say stuck at home but locked at home with the family you know it's really helped i think everybody that i work with reprioritize and see what what is actually important like these neighbors that are 20 miles away that we didn't know they're doing all this great work those are really the things that matter so we're about out of time wayne 
I do want to ask you though, is there anything that you want to specifically talk about? I mean, anything that you want people to know about your work, the center, uh, no, what I, can I do just, to help? I just think that we just need to stay focused on on people and understand that it doesn't make any difference who we are or who our neighbors are, that we just need to love and respect our, our, our neighbors and our families and and be the best people that we can and, and not get caught up in the midst of all of the chaos that, that gets thrown into the, the midst of all this. You know, I, I've always said that, you know, a lot of people would rather hear about how many people got shot on the street rather than hear about how many people me and Mike may have fed throughout the year. So the the, the negative is always going to try to outweigh the positive and we just have to stay positive and continue to do the best that we can. I don't even have a great closing. This is uh, Mike Lewis from NCAT with Wayne Riley from the Laurel County African American Heritage Center uh, advising everyone to stay positive and help your neighbors. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information about this episode and related resources can be found at atra.incat.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Voices from the Field wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Myers. ATRA, Voices from the Field, is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology, headquartered in Butte, Montana. It's supported by the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then, keep on farming.